Good morning, Impactors. We've got a whirlwind tour uh, in our, our series through Luke. If you got your Bibles, or since you got your Bibles, hopefully turn to the seventh chapter of Luke, and we're going to do verses one through ten, talking about faith. And some of us, we believe that amazing faith, powerful faith, is just for Billy Graham. That's just for the Apostle Paul. That's elusive to the rest of us. But I don't think God really expects that. I think God expects for all of us to tap into amazing faith. And today you'll find out that's possible. But first, you've got to see how it's different than other kinds of faith. Faith is pretty diversified. Sometimes it's puny and mundane. Actually, you guys all used it about 25 minutes ago. You exercised faith. I saw it for a lot of you. You came in here, and you all have buried somewhere in your head the belief that these chairs can support you, and you proved it by sitting in them. I didn't see any of you stay standing after worship and go, I ain't sitting in that thing. I mean, it's built for a little high schooler. I can't, no, most of you sat down because you have faith. Now, that's, that's puny faith. We're not going to celebrate that. We're not going to have a big service because you sat in the chair. Here, there's a golf clap for you. That's all that you get. So on one end of the spectrum, there's puny faith, but then... There's the powerful faith sometimes that we see in people, and it just blows us away. It's abundant, and it's rare. Like I said, it's powerful, and it's extraordinary. Uh, and there's another kind of faith that's, that's amazing, too, and I think this is the one we don't want. This is the kind that, even though all the evidence is there that something should be a certain way, or that something is not a certain way, we see people show faith for something that's clearly not there, or no faith for something that clearly is. Puny faith. Extraordinary in its absence is what I'm trying to say. You're not with me. Parents, where are you? You'll be with me in a minute. Remember when your kids were little? Some of you are saying, yes, today. They're still little. Okay, if you got little kids and sometimes you put them to bed, maybe you've had a night or two when they come screaming you know, out of their room and go, Daddy, Mommy, come here. There's a monster under my bed, right? No, they're in the closet but they're in the closet or they're under the bed or somewhere until you come in and turn on the light and expose to your child that that is a myth. There's no monster in the closet. There's no monster under the bed. Look, there's nothing under the bed except your toys and last night's vegetables rotting and all this stuff, but there's nothing, there's no monster. Look, in the closet, there's no monster in here. There's not even room for monster. It'd have to be a really tiny monster. There's a little tight, no, no monster. There's no monster in there. There's no evidence. And what do they do? Thanks, dad. Thanks, mom. We'll go sleep now. No. Liar! There is a monster. I saw him. I heard him. When you leave, that light goes off. He's going to come back. So you have to stay, and you have to sing to them. And if you can't sing to them, they'll think you're the monster. And see, it just gets worse, right? The thing is that there's no evidence that there's a monster, but they believe it. And so that's this highly extraordinary, amazing thing. It's amazing that we hear things that are not there. So we're going to look at both of those today. Amazing faith that it's there with so little reason, and amazing faith that it's absent with so much reason that it should be there. And in the entire New Testament, it only says that Jesus Christ was amazed twice. Both have to do with faith. One of them we're going to read about in this passage right here. The extraordinary faith of a man who had so little reason to believe. And the other is found in Mark 6. Mark 6, verse 6. Jesus actually goes back to his hometown of Nazareth, and he's preaching, and he's done miracles there before, and... It turns out that this time he could. He could do no mighty work there, except that he laid hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled, which literally is translated, he was amazed because of their unbelief, because of their lack of faith. Faith's an important thing to God. Maybe you didn't know that. 
Hebrews 11.6 says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. So if you want to please God, you can't even get started without faith. So some are going, well, we're good. We can go home. You said all of us exercised faith when we came in and sat down. Not puny, anemic, worthless, meaningless faith. The right kind of faith. Listen, I can tell you about a certain being that has greater faith than you do, and it's not going to do a thing for him. In James, the Bible says the demons believe and shudder in fear. Their faith is strong, but they hate God. So it's not some sort of faith you grunt up, or it's not some getting in the lotus position and removing all doubt from your mind. That's not the faith that we're talking about here. This is extremely different, this extraordinary, life-changing, amazing faith. This morning, we're going to see the difference. I, I got a question first, though, because just in case, uh, just in case I'm off my rocker here. Some of you are going, already resolved that one. Here it is. Would you rather stand before God, because i got to clear this up, and hear him say, you know, I looked at you many times in your life, and though things seemed dark and, and there was a lot of trouble, I was amazed at your faith. I was amazed at the faith I saw in you. Or would you rather have him look at you and go, you know what, many times I looked at your life, I'm about to tell you, depart from me. I don't even know you. But before I do, I want to tell you, many times I looked at you, and I, I set up everything for you. Everything pointed to me, and you wouldn't believe. At times, I was amazed at your unbelief. Just let that soak for a minute. Which one would you rather have? Oh, by the way, again, I don't want to seem naive here. I realize there's painful times in our lives, troublesome times in our lives when faith's hard to come by. I mean, doesn't God sometimes seem distant? Anybody, am I alone on that? It's okay to raise your hand. He won't strike you down. Sometimes you go through pain, he seems uninvolved. And sometimes you cry out and, and, and it's difficult to have faith. Listen, I'll tell you what, I believe God is very gracious and patient with us in times like these. I remember a pastor telling of one such time, Ravi Zacharias tells an amazing true story of when he ministered in Vietnam in 1971. Think about it, not a good time to be in Vietnam. And one of my interpreters, he says, was Haiyan Pham, an energetic young Christian. He had worked as a translator with the American forces. And he was of immense help to both them and to me and other missionaries. In fact, I traveled the length of the country there and back, north to south and all, ministering with him as my interpreter. Really got to know him. He's a great friend. Well, I lost track of him. 17 years later, I received a telephone call. Brother Ravi, the man asked, Ravi Zacharias. Immediately, I recognized Haiyan's voice. And he told me the story, his story. Shortly after Vietnam fell, Haiyan was in prison, arrested in prison on accusations of helping the Americans. His jailers tried to indoctrinate him against democratic ideals, but also against the Christian faith, which they thought went hand in hand. And to do that, he was restricted to communist propaganda in French and Vietnamese, no more English. And a daily deluge of Marxism and Engels began to take its toll on him. Listen to what happened. A couple of years into this thing, and he began to say to himself, maybe God doesn't exist. Maybe the West has deceived me. So Hyen determined that when he awoke the next day, he would not pray anymore or ever think of his faith again. Next morning, he was assigned the dreaded chore of cleaning the prison latrines. And as he cleaned out a tin can overflowing with toilet papers, I caught what appeared to be English printed on one piece of paper. So he hurriedly grabbed it and he washed it. And after his roommates had retired that night, he retrieved the paper and read the words from Romans chapter 8. Trembling, he began to read this. 
And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. For I am convinced that nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And Hyen wept and wept and wept. He knew his Bible. And he knew that there was not a more relevant passage for one on the verge of surrendering his faith than what he read. So he cried out to God asking for forgiveness. For this was to have been the first day that he would never pray again. But after finding scripture, Hyen asked the commander if he could clean the latrines for the rest of his time in prison. You see, he discovered that some official was using the Bible as toilet paper. Each day, Hyen picked up a portion of scripture, cleaned it off, and added it to his collection of nightly reading. When his tormentors were using for refuge, what his tormentors were using for garbage, the scriptures could not be more treasured by Hyen. Later, he was let go and went to Thailand and then ultimately America, where he still is today as a, as a Christian businessman helping churches and ministries around the world. See, in his darkest moment, when he had his doubts, God was patient and showed him love and answered him directly. And I know God is that way. But what about when the evidence is the other way? I'll give you another example. I believe God looks at such people as the young pastor in Iran right now, the father and the husband, who's, on a, who's got a death sentence over his. He's in prison for bogus charges, and basically he had a church and people are coming to Christ. And we're trying to get him out of prison, and we've been protesting for years, and I believe God looks at him, and I believe God says, I, I still marvel at the beautiful gift you give me every day with so little, your faith. But I wonder what God thinks when he looks at Americans, millions of them, who claim the name of Christianity, and have our, our God's blessed our socks off. And he, I wonder if he marvels and goes... I, I, I'm amazed how obvious I am in your life, but your lack of faith, it's your lack of faith. You should have it. So what about that? What about when everything points to God and we just kind of walk away? Luke chapter seven, one through 10. We're gonna look at both faiths. I want you all to have amazing faith because we want a movement to start out of this church. That can't happen with puny faith. That happens with big faith. Verse one, when Jesus had finished saying all of this to the people, he returned to Capernaum. And at that time, the highly valued slave of a Roman officer was sick and nearing death. Not to sound cold or callous, gang, but the average lifespan back then is about 35. A lot of people are sick coming after Jesus. A lot of them are near death and he can't heal them all. He healed thousands, but I bet he didn't get to tens of thousands. So why are we about to read 10 verses dedicated to a non-Jewish, non-chosen, non-religious, non-Christ follower who he himself is not even the one who's sick? Because of something else that he has. Because of his amazing faith. That matters a lot to the Lord. It's valuable. Who is this guy? Well, let me, let me tell you who he's not. I already told you. He's not a Jew. He's not one of God's chosen. Not a religious leader. Not even religious. And he wasn't a Christ follower yet. But here's what this little text of 10 verses tells us about this guy. Here's what it says he was. He was a captain of 100 in the Roman military, a centurion. He was a respected individual, even by the Jews and the religious Jews. He was humble. He was honor-bound. He was generous, loving, and faith-filled. Yet he's not even a Christ follower. He's not even religious. In other words, he's a good, moral guy. Yeah, there is such a thing. 
Now let's take a closer look and you'll see these things kind of come out yourself. Verse three, when the officer heard about Jesus, didn't see him, didn't meet him, he just heard about him. He sent some respected Jewish elders to ask him to come and heal his slave. It's kind of crazy. All he did was hear about Jesus. He never actually met him or even seen him perform miracles firsthand that we know of. So the centurion believes that Jesus is Lord, maybe even God, before even the disciples do. Now, how do I know this? Because look, the centurion said that he's not even worthy to have Jesus come into his home. A little bit later in verse 6, you'll see this. But just before they arrived at the house, I'll go ahead and read it. The officer sent some friends ahead to meet Jesus and said, Lord, what's he call him? Well, I thought he was just somebody heard about, a rabbi, a teacher. Now he's calling him Lord. Don't trouble yourself by coming into my home, for I am not worthy of such an honor. We're going to find out he's pretty close to the Jewish leaders and the religious leaders, and they'll come into his home and go, and that's not treated this way. He sees Jesus different. A couple more things. One of the Jewish leaders, one, the Jewish leaders respected him. You'll find that out a few verses later. Two, he respects them. He respects their religion. There's a mutual respect and understanding and even admiration that this guy has and that they have for him. And yet, he doesn't even treat Jesus like these Jewish leaders that he's come to love and respect. He treats them as something higher. They view Jesus, these, these leaders who are, are in Capernaum who've gotten to know Jesus, they view him with some kind of respect as a fellow teacher, but he views them above that without any information to go on. Really almost nothing here. And to really understand this, I don't know any other way. You have to go back to Luke chapter 5 and verse 8 where you see a similar Greek rendering of this kind of understanding of who Jesus is. That's Luke 5 verse 8. The situation is that Jesus has been spending some time in Capernaum at Peter's house. But he hasn't really called him. I mean, Peter's not really following. There's something that hasn't quite happened with Peter yet. He hasn't kicked off his ministry with Jesus. You know why? Because he hasn't really seen Jesus for who he really is until this moment in this verse. They're fishing. They've caught nothing all night. Jesus says, cast your net. Go out. Try one more time. Cast it on the other side. They do. They get so much fish, it's starting to sink the boat. And here's what happens. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell down before Jesus saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. So he'd seen him do miracles before. And he'd heard him teach with authority before. Now it's, depart from me, I can't be around you. What changed? For some reason, right there was the moment that Peter said, you're not just an incredible teacher. You're not a prophet. You make me realize who I am when I'm even around you. You're God. You're God. That's the same kind of rendering, the same kind of heart thing we have in this centurion. Please don't come into my home. It's, it's too much. The separation between who I am and who you are is too much. You can do this from a distance. So he must have simply heard the Holy Spirit bear witness of Jesus. That's it, because he never actually met him. Same thing that we have, the power of the Holy Spirit. It says in Romans ten seventeen that faith comes from listening to the good news, and the good news is about Jesus Christ. Hey, how do you get faith, Pastor Rob? By listening to the gospel. The gospel is the good news about Jesus. Not just listening to it, but receiving it. What's the good news in layman terms? Can I just spell it out for you? That God is on a rescue mission in his son Jesus. 
that he loves you despite your rebellion and mine, that he wants the best for you, that he wants to bring you home. And those who truly embrace this will see that abundant life that Jesus talked about in John 10.10. And those who don't are simply continuing an ugly tradition that Adam and Eve started in the garden when they believed the lie that God was holding out on them. When the serpent, when Satan said, listen, this is great and everything, but there's a whole nother level. And if you just break this one rule, it opens the door to greater stuff. God is holding out on you. He doesn't love you. You're not good enough for him to love you. But you do this, you can be like a God. And that's a lie, and people have been buying it ever since. But that's not the only bad thing that started that day in the garden. Here's another thing I've really noticed that I think got started way back in the garden. I think when Adam and Eve broke fellowship and, and sinned and were cast out of the garden, they could still have fellowship with, with God, but they had to approach him in, in repentance and in a certain way in, in, in childlike faith. But instead, they began a spiritual bartering system a religious barter, bartering system that says, if I'm good enough, God will like me and bless me. He has to, he's obligated to. But if I'm bad, I get it, then he doesn't like me and he's not obligated to and he'll make my life miserable. I get it, that's how it works. Where'd they get that? That's made up. There's no bartering system. It seems right to us. There's a way Proverbs tells us that seems right to man, but the end therein is death. We made it up because it, makes sense to us. More about that in just a moment. Let's continue with the story. So by mere hearing, this man has faith that Jesus is who he says he is and can do what people say he can. But watch this. Real faith has action. What's this guy's action? Second part of verse three. He sent some respected Jewish elders to ask him to come and heal his slave. Please don't miss this. He made a move toward Jesus before expecting anything from Jesus. That's good, Pastor. I'll write that down. No, that's really good and really important. See, many people seem to be waiting for their ship to come in, Christians. The problem is they never sent one out. You ever notice that? I meet more Christians like, well, God's, I'm due. I've been really good, but I, he's not doing anything. But I know he's got to because I, I go to church and I tithe and I'm a moral person and an upstanding citizen and all that. And I'm waiting for my ship to come in. Well, have you ever sent one out? Yeah, I'm really good. That's not sending a ship out in faith. That's nothing. I've had a ton of people who believe that way. It's odd. It's not biblical. This centurion isn't like that. He took the time and effort to send a carefully chosen delegation of Jewish elders and religious leaders to the Jewish rabbi named Jesus. Why? Because he believes. He has faith. And we don't get it, gang, because his faith looks so different to us. It's really rare and really honoring. And see, that's hard for me to preach to this generation because honor's dead and we don't even know what it is. Can I give you a modern day glimpse of it? We don't have a lot of time, so I'm gonna give you a real powerful one. I read about honor this week. Go ahead and put that picture up. There was a ranger that saved the lives of fellow rangers and it almost cost him his life. And he's in a hospital bed and they thought he was in a coma. He couldn't move, he hadn't spoke, he hadn't even opened his eyes. But when his fellow rangers came in that hospital room, do you know what he did? You can see it, can't you? He didn't even move. He didn't even open his eyes for days. And they came in to see their comrade and he raised his arm and saluted them. That's honor. That's honor. That's the best picture I can give you right now in an honorless culture, with an honorless climate this day. It meant so much to him that despite even being able to, call, he, to talk or do anything, 
He got his arm up for the salute to honor his comrades. Keep that in your mind. Now, before we go too much further, I want us to take note. I'm going to give you the five characteristics of amazing faith. I know you want it. It's this simple. Here's the first one. Amazing faith will cause us to love across all barriers. That's the first one. How many are there, Pastor Rob? Five. Good, because I don't like that one. So let me have the other four. Unfortunately for you, if that's you, they go together. And you throw one out, deals off. I'm just doing an autopsy on faith. This is what it looks like. Gang, this man shouldn't love the Jews. He's a Roman. Romans hated Jews. Jews hated Romans. Right or wrong, it's wrong. That's just the way it was. If you just play the numbers game, he shouldn't. But he doesn't play that game. He loves them, respects them. Now, if he's that far, he at least should not have been so public about his love and admiration for the Jewish people. But this text goes on to tell us, if you look ahead at verse four, that he built their church. He built their synagogue. Leave it, even if there was a handful of Romans that halfway admired the Jews for their religion and all that, they wouldn't talk about it. They would be more like secret admirers. They would never talk about it because they could be put down and ridiculed and everything else for that. So they'd keep it quiet, right? By the way, too many Christians today can be described that way. Are you a Christian? Yes, yes, I'm a Christian. Shh, shh, shh. Well, I didn't know. I've been watching you. I'm under cover for Pete's sake. Really? Yeah, I've been a Christian for 20 years. You'd never know. Shh, I'm a secret admirer of the risen Lord. I can tell you, don't tell anybody else. Here's the problem with that theory, gang. God's not looking for secret admirers anywhere in here. In fact, you've heard me, raise your hand if you've ever heard me talk about fans versus followers. You ever heard that? Okay, a lot of you have. And you know this then. Jesus isn't looking for fans. He's not trying to increase his Twitter account or get more Facebook followers. He's not trying to do that. He doesn't care. He wants people to take up their cross and follow him. Do you know what a secret admirer is? That's one notch below a fan. One notch below a fan. Not impressive. Not even allowed. Not even considered. So this man not only loved the Jewish people, he had respect for their religion. So the way I see it, he loved across racial boundaries, across religious barriers, political, rank barriers, status, economic, everything. So layman's terms, he didn't see black and white. He didn't see Republican or Democrat or rich or poor. He just, just loved people. Seems the man had no internal ranking system, no prejudice ranking system within him to muddy the waters. Instead, he just had this, this open conduit for amazing faith. A lot of us don't. We're so blocked. Back to the bartering. Some of us approach God more like we're swapping goods and services. And we need to decide if we want amazing faith, which God it is we're serving. The bartering God who gets us when we're bad and blesses us only when we're good, or the real God. It's not a, a matter of, of Star Wars, and there's the force, the dark side and the light side, and it's even, and it's back and forth. Who will win? We don't know. Darth Vader or Luke Skywalker, they seem so close. It's not close. It's not an equal match between God and Satan. Satan wants to rescue you. He does this or if God wants to rescue you, rather, he does this to Satan. Ding. That's it. It's probably not even that effort. It's probably, 
and it just gets them out of the way and rescues you. So it's not that God can't get there. Here's the problem. You have to decide who you're placing your faith in. A bartering God made up by man or the real one? Because if it's a bartering God, then when he reaches down to rescue you and pull you from drowning, you're going to hand him your resume. And you're not going to be rescued. Here's why I need to be rescued. I deserve it. I demand, look at this, read it. But if you see him the way that Peter saw him when he said, depart from me, the way that this Roman centurion sees him, then you will hand him your own hand and say, help me. I'm not worthy, but rescue me. Do you see the difference? One saves you. One, you're lost. Is this, are you with me? Yes. Okay, just, wow, checking. Just making sure. This is so hugely important. <laughs> wow. Pastor Rob, you got all that from that? Yeah, here's why. Up until this point, Jesus came to fulfill the law. Most Jewish religious leaders have been teaching this warped bartering system. Be good, so God will like you. Oh, you were bad. God doesn't like you. Maybe you can even the scales again, and he'll like you once again. But see, when we think about that, more damage is done than even our faith. More damage is done to Christianity. Everything. Because you'll subtly start thinking that you actually are better than other people. Because I, I'm a believer and now I go to church and I do all this and I'm a good guy and, and, I'm, and you'll be talking to people and it'll come out. And you'll talk to non-Christians and it'll come out. And guess what? When you start debating them about how much better Christians are, you just set yourself up. They're going to win that argument. Because they're going to go, really? Because I know a lot of Christians who are jerks. Oh, let me keep going. I go on a lot of non-Christians that are, quite frankly, better than you. Let me help you out at that point. Should you find yourself in that kind of wrestling match? Tap out. You lost. You lost. You can't win that. You can't win that. You know why? Because they're right. They're right. There are non-Christians that act better than Christians. Aren't there? Is that scary to some of you? I didn't know until today, Patrick. Or, or is it kind of you knew that? It's just true. And when we think of ourselves that way and we present it that way, we lose the argument hands down. I'm going to have to be blunt. You're not getting it. Look up here. I've known in my life a lot of really nasty Christians. I just have. And I can think of some of the, the times of the deepest, most beautiful fellowship in my life have been Christians. Same time, I can tell you some of the deepest scars I carry and, the, and moments of betrayal and all that have been Christians. And I can also tell you, on the other hand, I got some pretty neat, good, moral, big-hearted, wait for it, non-Christians in my life. So when you argue that it's as simple as this, if you're real, we're Christians and we're good and we're better, you're going to lose that. That doesn't even work on paper. It's not that easy. I love to scuba dive. Some of you are like, ADD, here it comes. <laughs> Not really, stick with me. I once did a liveaboard trip. You know what that is? That's where you live aboard the ship. And it was anchored out in the Caribbean, and we spearfished for our own food. We didn't really bring much food, and it was one of the most fun weeks I ever had. And I thought if I ever did that again, I wouldn't necessarily invite just Christians. <gasps> no. Maybe, but not necessarily. There's a lot of non-Christians I might want to go with. 
There's some Christians I wouldn't necessarily invite on the ship. I'd put them maybe in the dinghy behind if there were holes in it. But not on the ship. Why not? Some of the non-Christians I know, I'd rather spend time telling them about Christ. And some of the Christians I know are, you see, that argument by itself just doesn't work. You have to take that whole approach and just get rid of it. Not all Christians are good. And not all non-Christians are sneaky, sharp-fanged vampires by night. They're not. It's this. It's Christians have been rescued and non-Christians haven't yet. That's it. That's the only difference. But this non-Christian Roman is starting to get it. We see amazing faith welling up inside of him. The centurion's faith was the polar opposite of the bartering nonsense coming from the Jewish religious leaders. It's truly amazing. And here's the second thing that amazing faith does. Amazing faith will cause us to be passionately involved in ministry. It just will. Not to sign up for something and go through the motions, but to can't wait, passionately get involved in ministry. This Roman centurion obviously has been a really good friend of the Jews. He gets it as a non-believer. When they approach God, they blow it, gang. I mean, they really blow it. They don't come humbly to Jesus and say, please have mercy on this man. He's our friend and you are God. Please show grace and mercy though we don't deserve it. No, basically they tell Jesus, you owe this guy. He's one of the, do- the good guys, period. Heal him. We demand it. See how differently they approach Jesus? The Roman centurion doesn't even approach Jesus. Says, I'm not, I'm not worthy. I know who you are. I'm not worthy. Huge faith is beginning to blossom. While their faith is getting smaller and smaller. And they ought to have great faith. They've, they've lived with Jesus in that town for a year. Thankfully, Jesus makes it real clear why he heals this man's servant and responds. It's the caliber of this man's faith and the purity of it. Not If it had been based on those Jewish leaders, I don't think he'd have even done it. So watch this. you got to get this, gang. Before we go all high and mighty on the poor, unenlightened, simple-minded, biblical, religious leaders here, consider how we so often approach God the same way. You and I, we do it too. I've done it. God, give me a healing. God, get me out of this mess. I got myself into. Lord, help me to get an A on this test or I won't graduate. I didn't study it all, but. Lord, please show up. My enemies are persecuting me. Get them. Why didn't you get him? You're not a good God. You don't love me. Really? You know, I look at the trials that we go through that the Bible makes so clear are to stretch our faith and to test it and to purify it and make it like gold. And I look at what's waiting for us in heaven and I I think one day we're all gonna say what Paul said. No matter how bad our life is, it's not as bad as the Apostle Paul's was. And yet he said, that's almost a joke compared to what I saw. What's waiting in heaven for us? This testing, this dress rehearsal for all eternity. But we don't get it. I remember when I was, let me give you an illustration. When I was 12 years old, my brother and sister are twins. They're about 13 months older than me. And they'd coming off three years of parties. Two of them were surprise parties. Not me. I got gypped. Nothing for me. Their birthday's in May. Mine's in June. So a month later for these three years, I'm going, but I wonder what mine's going to be like. So when I was getting ready to turn 12, I'm thinking, this is it. Otherwise, I'm gone. This is, I'm, I'm striking out with a bandana rolled up at the end of a stick. I mean it, I'm serious. 
I'm due for a surprise party. Well, I was getting really close and I was getting kind of down and I don't do good at faking feelings. I'll, you'll know it if I'm upset. I was riding in the car, my brother and sister there, my mom's driving and she's looking in the rearview mirror and she goes, all right, that's it. I can't take it anymore. You seem so down and depressed, Robbie. That's what she used to call me. When it's Robbie, I know that she's going to say something serious. Look, I can't stand to see you so upset. You know what? This coming Saturday, we had planned a surprise party for you. We were going to have a surprise party for you. I was like, yes, a surprise party. Finally, I deserve it. I was like, wait, you said were. Well, can't be surprised now. We had to tell you about it. Oh. Well, then Saturday came, my birthday came and went, and I didn't get a surprise party. <laughs> Don't cry for me, Argentina. All that's left of this painful experience is a slight twitch in my left eye. Nothing 30 years of counseling or more hasn't been able to cure. But why do I tell that ridiculous but true story? Because we do the same thing. We do the same thing when we boo-hoo with God. Where are you and why won't you do this? And, and, and God's saying, but I, I don't want you to feel so down. Truth is, we were planning something for you in heaven, and it's coming, and it's going to be great. It's going to make all this look so small. I'm just trying to mold you in the image of my son, but you look so depressed that thought I'd tell you. Listen, gang, if you're here today and you're going through hardship, let me just say this. It may seem like it's taking forever for God to speak to you, but there's a surprise party coming. Don't make God spoil it. In fact, you know what? The Apostle Paul might have been super Christian, but I got one thing on him. I wasn't knocked down. So do you, Christ follower, and blinded by a light and told in a thundering voice to get on the right track. And I wasn't caught up in the third heaven like Paul was and, see, and where he got to see heaven. I just believe without seeing, and so do you. Does that mean anything, that kind of faith to God? Oh, I think so, because Thomas was the one saying after he arose, I'm not going to believe unless I see and put my hands in his nails and the spear where the spear was in his side. And you know what Jesus said to him in John 20, 29? Jesus told him, you believe because you've seen me. Blessed, favored, honored are those who believe without seeing me. So we're one step ahead of even the Apostle Paul. It's the kind of faith that matters. Third thing, amazing faith will cause us to approach Jesus in great humility, in great humility. We don't need to spend a lot of time here because you saw how humble this guy is. They both, the, the religious Jewish leaders and the Roman centurion, both expect a miracle. Isn't that wild? So they both have some kind of faith. It just tells us there's a great difference. His faith is humble and honoring, and theirs is demanding. Too much of the time, our faith ends up being a test of God's faithfulness rather than a test of our own. God's faithfulness, gang, is not on trial. He's faithful. Ours is. We've rebelled. Ours needs to be refined, not his. It's perfect. So Jesus went with them, based, I believe, on the faith of this Roman who was humble and faithful. God exalts those who are humble, I've noticed in Scripture, and answers those who don't already have all the answers. But just before they arrived at the house, Scripture says the officer sent some friends on ahead and said, Lord, don't trouble yourself by coming to my home, for I'm not worthy of such an honor. 
I'm not even worthy to come out and meet you. Just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. How's that for faith? I almost forgot one. I'm going to throw this one in here. Amazing faith will lead to generosity. Or generosity will lead to amazing... It goes both ways. This guy's amazingly generous. He's not even a Christ follower yet. And it goes on to tell us that he built the synagogue for them. Let, let, let's show a picture of that. We showed this before. Jesus spent more time at this synagogue. And here's a, a, a modern rendering of this synagogue. Does that look like something one Roman centurion could afford? No, he's not a Roman senator. He's not the Caesar. He's like a captain in the military. He must have given just about everything he has to have that built because he respected them so much and he wasn't even a religious man. He's just a, a good moral guy whose faith is increasing, but he's not there yet. Look how generous he is. This will be like somebody coming in and saying, I like this movement. I believe God's doing something. I, I don't believe yet and I don't know if I ever will, but I, I want to build your first church. Here, here's $5 million. But you're not even a Christ follower. I know, but something compels me. That's what this is. This is the synagogue Jesus taught in the most, paid for by the Roman centurion. Is this starting to come together for you? This is huge, huge. This man was wildly generous, and he wasn't even wealthy. Listen, I, I want to be honest, but this is kind of sad. But, but it's just it's real honest. Christians, I should say it like this, religious people, they're not the most generous. Not always. True Christians are, but religious people aren't. We can listen to a message we mostly agree with. We can sing some songs. If we like them, we'll, we'll sing a word or two with them. We can get you know, half-hearted, and we'll get to church, and we'll do some good moral things. But, man, we get to the end of the service. You'll find out if we're generous or not. And, and we can get spiritual arthritis when it comes to that time to worship and giving back to God. I've just noticed this. I've been a pastor for over 20 years. I've just noticed that. It's an affliction that hits momentarily and then withdraws at the time of giving back to God. And I look at us, and some people are like, you know what? I wasn't really planning on giving back to God. I don't really have anything with me. What have I got? I got a fiver here. Boom. Tip God with a fiver. You weren't planning on it? Why not? We do it every week. Scripture says to do it every week, to separate your heart's throne, the throne of your heart from stuff being God or God being God. It's an act of worship. And I, I wasn't ready. Sorry, Pastor. Were you ready last night when you went to a restaurant, expensive restaurant, or did you tell the waiter, sorry, we can't pay, and I can't even tip you because I didn't plan on it. Just found ourselves eating. No, you don't do that. You'll tip them. Probably tip them good, her good. You know, I mean, we'll tip a waiter 15% even if they spit in our food. We'll tip them 20 if they're halfway decent, right? 20%, waiters, waiters. They would probably have to come out and pull a knife and kidnap our wife for us to, to give them as low as 10. Then we come to church the next day and we won't even tip God. This is a struggle those Jewish leaders had too with their faith. It didn't produce generosity. This is not a struggle for the Roman centurion who had amazing faith. Even before he was saved, even with a little sprinkling of what was to come, he had an unbelievably generous heart and it just opened the conduit for amazing faith. A lot of us don't want to hear that one, but it's part of it. It's part of it. So let me wrap this up. 
He says, I know that you can heal because I'm a man under authority of my superior officers and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say go and they go. Come and they come. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Turning to the crowd that was following him, he said, I tell you, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. Final thing, amazing faith will trust in Christ and Christ alone. He doesn't ask for the leaders of the synagogue. He doesn't ask for the Pharisees. He doesn't say, send me the high priest from Jerusalem. He says, send me the Lord. He can do it. In fact, Lord, please do it from where you're at. I know who you are. I believe. That's amazing faith. This guy is dancing on the very edge of John 14, 6, of realizing that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through Jesus. And when the officer's friends returned to his house, they found the slave completely healed. But more importantly, the Roman centurion completely transformed. Let's pray. Father, beautiful, beautiful faith, amazing faith. It's described in other places in your word too, childlike, simple, unencumbered. Lord, I know we look at this and we think it's for the, the Olympic faith people, the gold medalists, Lord, but God, we're, we're thinking of it wrong. It's for those who just let go, put the resume down, put the bartering down, put all of our, our inclinations and our thoughts of what you should be like and what makes sense to us, and we just let go and say, bottom line, God, I'm a sinner. I'm not worthy. Please take my hand and pull me out of this mess and adopt me. That's salvation. In fact, Lord, if there's anybody here today who does not know you, I pray that in their heart right now, they would cry out simply, I'm a sinner. I take your hand. Come into my heart and save me. That's so simple, Lord. But if somebody here just prayed that, they're saved. They're saved. And the journey begins. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for amazing faith. Infuse it into this church, Lord, so that it can be a movement and more than just another church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.